church. I hope everyone's surviving what looks like a little storm outside. I didn't realize it was that bad. I like looked outside and everything's like blowing this way. I'm glad you're here, warm hopefully. And um, honestly, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege each week to be able to be up here and lead and sing along with you. This season is crazy. I just, um, quite honestly, there's just so much happening and you can get caught up in the things that don't matter or you can stay grounded and rooted in the things that do. And this next song, again, unrelated to the wind outside, we're gonna sing Fresh Wind. We're inviting God's presence here. Not that he's not omnipotent, but that uh, we want him here. We want to feel him present and moving in our lives as we sing this song together.
this, but if you could close your eyes with me, we're gonna pray together. Without anyone watching, if you feel comfortable, I invite you to open your hands, palms open towards the heaven. And if this is your heart, pray along with me. God, I want what you want for this season. I want to break for the things that break your heart. I want to be present for the people that need me present. Help me to not be taken away by the moment, by things that are fleeting, but help me to be grounded in the here and now where you've asked me to be, to be content with little, as Paul said, knowing the greater weight of glory, knowing what waits, not distracted by what could be, but fully present for what is. And as we sing this next song, God, we just invite you here and we love you. All things that pass the way Your love will stay the same Your constant grace remains a cornerstone Things that we Oh 
you by. It's just you and God right now. Let's let that sweet incense rise. church said, Amen. Well, Amen and Amen, right? So welcome to a blustery day at Grace Point Church. And the kids, it's good to worship with you. And they're going to go out into the parking lot and stay dry. No, they're looking back. That's not true. Uh, I told the first service that, uh, I'm waiting for this thing to warm up. There it is. I told the first service that early this morning, 
I have a well-regulated dog, Cooper, and Cooper is a producer on time. And so early in the morning, he's waiting for me at the front door, and it's blistering, and it's raining outside. And I said, really? And he said, really? And so we go outside, and it's, it's raining, and he's doing his thing. Then I'm thinking, you know what? I've never tried this online thing at Grace Point Church. <laughs> I might try to stay home and kind of, and then I thought, dang it, that, that won't work. I got to be here. So thanks for showing up. And uh, I tell you, it helps us appreciate uh, other days when we have days like this. But rain's fun. Blistery days, days, days are cool. But honestly, weather changes. Let me just give you a, a mini devotional related to what you just worshipped. And then I'm going to dive into some stuff that I look forward to unpacking with you this morning. Uh, you just had an opportunity to express your love for God. And uh, Jesus, we love you. But honestly, what does that look like? You have a different personality than the person closest to you in here. You are different than other people around you. And so how you express love to Jesus is different than how other people express love. Some of you are more physically expressive. Some of you are emotionally more intuitive that you really understand. So again, we, we love God differently. There are some general patterns and principles God says for all people, but how you love is different than how I love. The, the opposite is true. How God loves you, and he does, he loves you just as much as he loves anybody on this planet that's ever existed. His love is unconditional. But how he loves is different towards different people in different times. That's where it gets a little confusing, doesn't it? Sometimes when God loves, there are promotions. Sometimes God loves and there's a need for significant patience in your life. Sometimes God loves and there's, there's quite a bit of pain. And then we wonder, God, how much do you love me when this is a hard season that I'm living through? So here's where we're going this morning. As much as... God's love is true. God's power is true. God's strength is true. And how does God want you personally to experience his power? And I will say that God is powerful, but the way he, he pours out his power, his strength is different. You're going to have to trust him when you'd rather God pour out his power one way. <laughs> and he says, no, I think I'm going to pour it this way. So we're, that's what we're going to do. So this is the third Sunday of our four-Sunday Advent season at Grace Point Church. And so Advent, the word Advent means to anticipate. And we are anticipating a celebration. Uh, last night was Saturday, two weeks from last night, is Christmas Eve. And so we have one more Sunday, next Sunday, that'll be our fourth Sunday, and that'll kind of wrap up our Advent Sundays. And then we look forward to Christmas Eve together, Saturday night. And I really want you to come back for a birthday party. Not your party, Jesus' party. Uh, Christmas morning, I think every seven or eight years, uh, we have Christmas Day on a Sunday. And uh, we're going to have just one service, all kids, all adults, it's going to be a great time here. But... Uh, what we've been walking through during this Advent season is this passage here that I started last Sunday. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it's a passage 
a prophecy that was given 700 years before Jesus was born. And God gave to Isaiah to the people that were really struggling at that time because we talked about this a little bit more last week. I gave you more context. The Assyrian army was coming and they literally don't take any prisoners. They're going to scatter you. They're not going to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and, and be kind in any way. They were, they were bullies of, of their day and they're coming. And so God speaks to Isaiah, speaks to the people, listen, this is going to be a hard time. And it's going to be a time of judgment, actually. But my purpose is beyond this moment will not be thwarted, and I will be sending my son. And so part of that is, in this one verse, there are seven descriptions of Jesus, the promised one, Jesus the Christ. And last Sunday, we looked at four, the first four. Uh, the first three kind of go together. Uh, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So again, those are more general descriptions. And we talked about that last Sunday, where that describes Jesus's humanity, ministry, and authority. For to us, a, a child is born, humanity, 100% baby. We'll look at that this morning. But then uh, a son is given, given for a purpose, Jesus' ministry. And then this authority shall be given to him upon his shoulder after death, resurrection, ascension. Those are general descriptions, and boy, there's a lot of theology there. But then after these three descriptions, there are four names. Do you see them? Four specific names, and they're not synonyms. They mean different uh, aspects, attributes, qualities of this baby who was born, this son who was given. The first is wonderful counselor, and that's where we spent most of the time last Sunday on what makes Jesus a wonderful counselor? What makes anyone a good counselor? But what makes Jesus the best counselor? We, we went there last Sunday. But then I want to go ahead and now segue into this morning. If Jesus was only a wonderful counselor, we would have to reduce him to more than he is. You'd have to dilute Christmas. And honestly, if Jesus was just a wonderful counselor, we would be left lacking. I mean, a counselor that doesn't have the power to bring change can only point the way, but cannot give you the power to do anything beyond inspiration, communication, discernment. So Jesus is more than wonderful counselor, Jesus, do you see it, is mighty God. What does that mean? These, these, these adjectives are important. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. That focuses on God's power. Where wonderful counselor focuses on, let's say, the, the decisions of life. Mighty God focuses on the demands of life. And you have them, plural. If you only had one demand this Christmas season, you might not need to pray as much. You probably can handle one, but you have more than one. As a matter of fact, right when you think something solved more springs up, what or who is the greatest demand on your life 
this Christmas season. Don't look at them, right? Look, right? So we all have them. But again, it's more than this emotional, financial, physical, medical, uh, relational, all these demands. It's kind of like snowflakes. Just a few snowflakes don't get cars stuck. But enough of them at one time can stop traffic. And listen to me, that is your life. You don't just have one demand. You have a lot of people demanding, expecting, and you are part of that, of what you demand of yourself. Some of you are demanding way too much than you should. So what do you do with that? Well, you can either try to go ahead and rely on manpower, human power, or you can go ahead and tap into someone else. So... uh, Isaiah chapter 9 reminds us of the good news that Jesus is more than a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. And that's not just prophecy. That is literally Jesus' very own testimony. That is what got Jesus killed. Take a look at, uh, again, context here. Look at John 10, 31, 32, 33. And this is what ticked off the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the religious power people of their day. And when Jesus claimed deity, claimed to be God in the flesh. They ripped their clothes. They picked up stones. This is, this is one of the accounts of that. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Jesus, and Jesus just wanted to get them on record. Jesus answered them, hey, I have shown you many good works from my father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you but for blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Listen to me. If you just see Jesus as a good advisor, teacher, inspirer, you are lessening Christmas. He is wonderful counselor because he's been there, done that. He's been tempted. He's been tried. He understands. But he's more than that. Matter of fact, in Isaiah, we're not going to go there, three times in the book of Isaiah, you have the word Emmanuel, which is more of a prophetic pronouncement of Jesus coming to us one day. And then over in Matthew chapter 1, you have this quotation from Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And that is who Jesus was, that is who claimed who he claimed to be. But honestly, let's, let's, uh, let's go there just a little bit with our brains, okay? Because you have some thinking processes, and if you're like me, and I think you are, you try to go ahead and wonder if things make sense. Let's just be honest with each other. That doesn't make sense when you think of a baby being God. Have you ever, have you ever had something that you wanted to fit inside something else and it just didn't fit, right? You've, you've done that. Have you ever tried to make someone or your own person fit somewhere where it doesn't fit? I was Bobolink back in the day and uh, before I was Bobby, before I was Bob. And when Bobolink was trying to please his two bigger brothers, they said, Bobby, Bobolink, why don't you stick your head in that hole and see what's in there? Okay, and uh, so I stuck my head in this hole, it didn't fit, and a fire truck had to come out, 
and uh, to get bobolink out of the hole in a wall, right? So again, you stick something where it doesn't go, it doesn't fit, and uh, it, it doesn't go well. Let's just be honest. How on earth is Christmas true? How on earth can you bring God and fit into a baby? I have, before I went to theology school, seminary, and this and this and that, uh, I have a background in biology, chemistry, and mathematics. And I was a software engineer and, and, and did all that and before uh, vocational ministry. And uh, I love math. I still do because math makes sense. Uh, I love uh, all the, the consistency of it. And uh, I would fail in a math test if I said something was 100% this, and 100% that. That doesn't make sense, because you can only have 100%. Does that make sense? So when you say Jesus is 100% human, and he was, that's the incarnation. That is the Emmanuel. That is God with us, all human. At the same time, all God, 100%, 100%. I mean, the closest mystery to that is the Trinity and to marriage. Trinity, you have one plus one plus one, triune iti, equaling one God monotheism. We'll talk about that more next Sunday, actually, when Jesus is called everlasting father. Wait a second. I thought, hold on. We'll come back. We'll, we'll take a good look at that. In math, this is what makes sense to me. I remember the first time I looked at graphical equations. So when you have math classes, and some of you, you remember this, some of you don't, but you'll, you'll get this, and you have uh, axes that you plot points and lines upon graph paper. And so if you have just one axis, an x-axis, you can have a point. And then along that x-axis, if you put another point, what do you have? You have a line. And so basically, you can have longer lines, shorter lines, but it's on the same axis, the x-axis. And then along with the x-axis, let's say you introduce a y-axis. So no longer do you have a point and another point equaling a line. You have a y point on a y-axis that's outside of this line, and now you have a plane. Now you have a flat surface. You have a, a graphical structure that is two-dimensional. Well, then what do you have? You have X, Y, flat, plane, more than a line, and then you have Z. And then you have the Z axis, and that creates depth and shape and parabolas and all that wonderful stuff that we have a hard time, you know, in with. That kind of makes sense. All that to say is this. You and I live in 3D. You and I live in three-dimensional reality. We can understand that. Matter of fact, we're limited by that. When God made us, when God made creation, it was 3D reality. Let's just all agree that God is the author, maker, creator. If he can go ahead and create a frame that has laws and limits inside the frame and puts people and puts color in there, those he, she, they, that, that are inside the frame are contained in that frame that can't get out of that frame. 
But if you're the author, the creator, the maker, the writer, and you create the frame, you can color outside of those lines anytime you want. You are not confined to what you create. And so for the longest time, uh, as a Christ follower, I was uh, hesitant to talk about the triunity God. I was hesitant to talk about the incarnation of Jesus because I couldn't help others understand because I didn't understand. And then I realized I can either stumble over that or be humbled by it. And when Jesus Christ is more than 3D, more than what I can make an A on a test, more than I can fully understand or articulate, when he's more than that, that leads me to worship more because he is more than what I'm confined to be. Does that make sense? So again, I would encourage you, Christ followers, many of you are, don't shy away from the mystery of the theology, the study of God that is described in his book, the Bible. And so again, uh, it doesn't make 3D sense when Jesus is called fully baby, fully second person of the Trinity. But that leads me to worship, and that doesn't lead me to stumble. What is that called? That's called a miracle. What's a miracle? A miracle is when God draws outside of the framework. A a miracle is when something is done supernatural, not confined in natural. And so that is why when we are reminded and we read about these miracles, that gives us hope for when we need more power in our lives. So mighty God, 3D mystery, 4D reality, can't understand it. But God, you're bigger, you're more, and you're worth my worship. So now let's talk about, now that's God. Jesus, all man, all God. Let's talk about the mighty part. And again, if you want to go after the deity of Jesus, you want to go after the incarnation of Christ, there's a lot of good scholarly material out there. And I poured over a ton of it before I was able to to humble myself and say, uh, I know enough to place my life in his hands. And uh, for what I do not understand, I worship I don't sweat uh, about. And so uh, that makes God God and reminds me that I'm not he. So now let's take a look at the word mighty. When you take a look at mighty, it's about the the power. I told the first service again, when my kids were a lot younger, we used to sing together. And Rhonda would sing, I would hum, okay? And so, but one of the songs that we used to do is, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And we would all sing, and we'd go on, and we'd show all our, our stuff, you know? And, uh, and that really is true, by the way. And so, but what does that mean for, for you and I today? What does it mean when the demands of your life get overwhelming? I want you to unwrap and receive the fact that Jesus is described by name, mighty God. Along with biology, chemistry, math, my background, history. I love history, read history, and, uh, um, and marvel that so much of the problems of history are repeated uh, in our time. 
One of the things you can do in history is you can trace power technology along with human development. And so I'm going to quickly kind of walk you through just a little bit of this and make a statement, a a very sad statement, actually. So it first starts with raw power. Let's call it human power, manpower, pick up stones, push things, uh, uh, you know, uh, rely on self for strength. Uh, And then you get steam power, electric power, atomic power, nuclear power, and then we're trying to harness solar power, all of this. Let's just all agree that as mankind has gotten older, we have becoming more adept at harnessing worldly power. We're able to go ahead and grow and do incredible things. But at the same time, here's a sad statement. Our character hasn't caught up to this advancement about worldly power. We can split the atom. We can have nuclear power. We can, we can do all of this, but we are loving less. We can't get along with others. There's still racism, terrorism, hate, injustice, trafficking, Why? Here's why. It's because all the power under the sun doesn't come close to the power of Jesus, the Son of God. And you need more than the power that this world can bring to accomplish the demands of your life and literally solve the demands of this planet. So this is kind of where I want to go. So more than just generalizing this, I want to give you some specifics. I want to give you three or four New Testament passages this morning where Paul encourages you and I, as he did back in the first century, to understand and experience more of God's power like he did. Here's the first passage. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1, 9, 2, 10, and 11. So uh, man... Kind's power, nuclear, atomic, solar, whatever, is not going to be the answer to your issues of character and not the character issues of this world. But God's mighty power is. So let's take a look at this. Look at Colossians 1, 9, 10, 11. So we have not stopped praying for you. So he goes to Colossae, plants a church, appoints leaders, takes off, and then writes letters and comes back to visit and tries to nurture this new flock. And he says, this is what I continue to pray for you. So we have not stopped praying for you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's some things of God we want you to understand, and we're praying that you will. And then if you understand more and apply more, then the way you live will always be honoring and pleasing to the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Walk in the wisdom of God. That's what we pray for. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So again, learning, understanding is what Paul has prayed and what we need to pray. But there's more to that. Look at number verse 11. We also pray more than understanding. We want you to experience something. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. We want you to experience the strength that you don't have, that the world can't provide, that God wants to pour into your life. We want you to be different because of it. 
We pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. That's what I want for you too. So I'm going to get specific with you this morning. I'm going to give you four ways that I believe, according to scripture and personal experience, that God wants to strengthen you. Pour out his strength so you experience it, not just uh, understand it. Uh, before that, let me give you one last verse. This is a verse that basically helped shape uh, our church in the early years. Uh, our first Sunday at Grace Point Church was uh, February of, of 1992. And uh, one of the passages that helped form the vision was basically part of the baggage that I had related to, I really thought growing up that church was all talk. I thought that people talk a good fight, but they really don't get along. They don't really live different than the world. And so why is it worth attending? That's kind of where I went. And, uh, but boy, I tell you, when I grabbed a hold of this verse, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it is living by God's power, experiencing strength from God. Now, if that's true, I want it. I'm on in. If it's just a religious game, I have no time for that. And actually, neither do you. So then that got me moving towards, well, then how do I experience more of this and less of the religious games that have permeated this, this world? So it's all about living by God's power. How do you do that? So on your outline, at home, comfortably on your couch, nice and dry with your hot chocolate and coffee. And here, here we go. Because of God's power, let me give you four ways that God's power shows up. Here's the first one. Because of God's power, he was able to save us. Story after story, back then and today, God's power shows up to save. What does that mean? Save means set free. Save means to, to end oppression. Save means to deliver from. Actually, the, the how of God coming to us is hard to understand, even harder to articulate. 100%, 100%, how does that fit? But listen to me, how is harder than the why. Why he came to be all God and all man is because of love. We needed him to be. That's the gospel. God came to us without sin, lived without sin, died without sin, rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to give credibility to the claims that I can forgive your sin. And he wants to forgive your sin. So Christmas, followed by Jesus' public ministry, followed by Easter, and the promises for today and forever, it's a love story. That's why Jesus came. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's a, it's a love story. And uh, one of the ways this love story is relevant to you and I is that we need saving because we have a sin problem. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Paul writes this. He has saved us, literally, delivered us from 
the domain of darkness, living without him, figuring things out on our own, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. How? In whom we have redemption, salvation. We were bought. We were, we were, we were uh, brought back to him. Uh, we have redemption through the forgiveness of, of sins. Without the forgiveness, there's no redemption. There's no reconciliation. There's no relationship. And God's power is seen in how he desires to save. Here's another one. Take a look at Hebrews 7, 23, 24, 25. Jesus, the high priest, is better uh, than the other priests that came before him. Uh, when one of the other priests died, uh, he could not continue being a priest. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so there were many priests. Uh, but because Jesus lives forever after the grave, he will never stop serving as priest. So he is able always to save. He is able always to save that generation and this one and the next if he doesn't come back. So he's always able to save those who come to God through him. I'm going to give a pause here and I'm going to give a small little sermonette now and I'm going to come back to the meat of where we're going because I need to say something about a grip that has some of you that has many people beyond this auditorium. Most people have never experienced the strength of God, the grip of that, that God loves you and that you're saved and you're secure. Many people, the strongest power that they've ever experienced is the grip of guilt. As a pastor for many years now, I've walked with many people, I've talked with many people who literally know of their guilt and they've tried to resolve their guilt. And sadness isn't enough. Regret isn't enough. You can be really sad for what you've done and who you've done it to and what you did or didn't do. Listen to me. Remorse, regret does not solve the inner grip of guilt. Only forgiveness solves that. Only the power that God can pour to save you, to forgive you, to move you from one kingdom to another, to adopt you in, to get you to be born again, to be a new creation, to be fully forgiven. That's God's power to save. Let me give you one last one, then we're going to move, move on. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have this great high priest, Jesus, the capital S, Son of God, who has gone into heaven, let us hold on to the faith we have in him. For our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses. That's what makes him a wonderful counselor. He was tempted in every way that we are. Wonderful counselor. He's been there. But he did not sin. That makes him not have to die for his own sin. Because now he can die for your sin. Verse 16. All of that. Then let us 
feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is what? There's grace. Grace is the opposite of guilt. Guilt is what we know is inside us because of what we've said or didn't say or do or didn't do. Grace is God pouring out his forgiveness of what you do not deserve, of what you desperately need to be saved. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Some of you, you really think that I know how to resolve my guilt. I just need to cry over it. I just need to regret it. I just need to say I'm sorry for it. That's not enough. The only answer to sin is being saved. The only answer to that grip of guilt is to be held by grace. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll powerfully give it to you. Here's a second one. Because of God's power, he is able not only to save us, but secure us. Have you ever been set free from something? Have you ever kind of gone away from something only to have it come back? <laughs> you, know, you know, that's sadly a lot of people's experiences. And God says, I am so powerful. Whoever I save, I can secure for eternity. Man, that is good news. Take a look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Again, Paul, that is why I'm suffering here in prison because I won't dilute who Jesus is. If he would just go ahead and shut up about Jesus, they'd let him go, but he won't. That is why I'm suffering for, here in Jesus, but you know, I'm not ashamed of it. Why? For I know the one in whom I trust. That would be Jesus. And I am sure that he is able to guard that word secure what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. I just want you to notice something. Notice what he doesn't say. Uh, for I know what I have believed. I know what I have done. That's not what he says. His, his, his trust is not in him and what he's even believed or done. His trust is in him. I know the one in whom I trust. You know, there's some churchy circles, a lot of people are putting all their hope, all their security in the fact that they've never doubted or that they've always been semi-consistent with the behaviors, the beliefs that God wants them to. But listen to, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. If you're anything like me, you're going to have some seasons of doubt and disappointment. But that doesn't mean that God is less in your life, and you are less adopted in, born again, new creation. That just means that you're struggling, and this fellowship is a little bit farther than the relationship that is secure. Paul says, listen, I know the one in whom I trust. Put your trust in him, not in your desire to never live with doubt and never disappoint yourself based on uh, the choices that you make. But I need to say something here. Notice what it says here. I know the one in whom I trust. I've given God my life. I've given him all I have. I've asked him to save me and secure me. For I am sure that he is able to guard secure what? What I have entrusted to him. That's the question. Have you put your life in his hands? Have you entrusted your life to him? If you have, you are secure. 
If you haven't, you're not. So again, God's power is not just to save for a moment, but to secure you, to, 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 to keep hold of you now and forever. I, again, one last one for here. Look at John 10, 28. This is Jesus. This is his power. I give them eternal life. That is a long life with him. And they will never perish. Why? No one will snatch them out of my hand because I am strong. I am mighty. There's nothing I cannot do. And what I say, who I say is secure, they are. Now, again, God will not violate your volitional will. He will not secure you. He will not guard you. He will not save. He will not adopt unless you put your life in his hands and say, Jesus, I'm all in. Be my Lord to lead me, Savior to forgive me. And he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And it will not be in pencil. Jesus, his power is able to save, secure, strengthen. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one because it takes a little bit more time to unpack this. What I want to do is I want to put this on a lower shelf not so you just kind of look at it, hear it, semi-understand it, but I want it on the lower shelf so you can take it home. I don't want you to just think, well, that's some lofty stuff. I want you to, 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 to have it. I want you to experience it. And this is kind of where I want to, I want to help you th- this morning. So because of God's mighty power, he's able to strengthen us. Classic verse about God's strength that is available. Look at Isaiah 41 verse 10. Don't be afraid for all the demands, all the, all the stuff happening, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off of them. Get your eyes back on me, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So, Bob, how? Good verse, encouraging verse. Help me take this home. How does God bring strength from him to me for the demands of my life? Well, let's take a look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you two verses and then three ways in these two verses that God strengthens people. Here we go. Take a look at this passage with me. And I just want you to, again, uh, recognize this morning for some of you that you're not, your, you're not all alone. When you pray for something, you believe it is God's will and it doesn't happen. You're not alone. That's Paul, by the way. Take a look at what Paul said. Uh, three times, he's, he's writing to encourage this church in Corinth. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. There's something that we don't know that he doesn't explain. He doesn't articulate in this letter. Uh, we don't know if it's arthritis. We don't know if it's an impacted tooth. We don't know if it's limping. We don't know if it's stuttering. We don't know if it's eyesight. I mean, all these people waste way too much time trying to, trying to figure out what Paul decided not to say. But it's not as much about what is limiting him. And I think the reason why he did that, because what's limiting him is probably not what's limiting you. And so again, whatever's limiting you, do with it what I did with me. 
That's kind of where he went. So here we go. Three times I pleaded about my stuff with the Lord that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Basically, God says, no, Paul, you're not going to have life without it. You're going to have life with me with it. And we're going to talk about that. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. These two verses help us understand about how God's strength can show up in our lives. On your outline, you might want to write these down. These are the ways you can pray for. These are the ways that you could have confidence about related to God's available power uh, seen in his strength that's available to you. He's able to save. He's able to secure, keep you in the family, not lose you. Number three, he's able to strengthen. He doesn't just want to secure you in heaven. He wants to strengthen you here. How does that work? Let me give you three ways. Here's the first one. Uh, you can pray about this because Paul did power to leave a problem. That's what Paul did. Take a look at again, verse eight. Three times I said, God, let me leave this problem behind. Let me leave whatever is holding him back. And literally, he really felt this is slowing me down. This is preventing me from serving you more. And uh, I don't see this as a selfish prayer. I do see this as a prayer that God denied. Um, but why would he pray this power to leave a problem? You know why? Because God empowered many people, Old Testament, New Testament, and beyond, to leave their problems. Way back in the Moses days, they prayed, 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 and God said, okay, in my time. And so basically the Pharaoh basically had to let these people go. And so the Israelites were, were saved. They, they, they were able to leave the problem of oppression back in Old Testament days. And then you have, Paul knew this, you had the Peter in prison stories of the New Testament. Many people were incarcerated. Many people were set free. And then Paul also knew that many people in the Old Testament uh, were healed of physical oppression, even brought back to life in the New Testament. Many people were healed from all kinds of things, even brought back to life. And so literally, Paul, based on who God is and what he's done, God, would you empower me to leave this problem behind? Listen to me. You can pray that. Just don't demand it. Paul didn't demand it. How do you know you demand it? You stop following when God says no or not yet. So Paul said, I'd rather not live with this. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I will continue to be all, all, all yours. But to, leave, but to leave a problem, verse 8. Well, here's the second way to experience God's strength. If he doesn't give you power to leave a problem, he will give you power to live through a problem. That's verse 9. He said to me, no, Paul, my grace, my power is sufficient for you to not be consumed, not be less of who I'm calling you to be in this problem that you're not going to leave behind. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? That word 
perfect here is not the best English translation to the Greek word teleos, but there is, it's hard to put an accurate translation together. The word teleos literally means complete, uh, not without flaw. The idea there is, well, if I'm, if I'm all God, then I'm going to be perfect. Well, no, but if you're all in and available to respond, God will accomplish his purposes completely, what he desires in and through you. That's the point. So he says, Paul, you want this problem to leave you so that you can do more for me and become who you're calling, I'm calling you to be. I'm going to empower you to live through it Because through this problem, you're going to mature more than without the problem. Through this problem, you're going to be more perfect, more teleos, more complete, more mature, more the person I'm calling you up to be. It takes power from God to transform you through the problems that he's not letting you leave behind. God can give you power not to be bitter. God can give you power not to be overly discouraged, overly, again, just with no energy and uh, without hope. Many people in our church are in problems they'd rather not be in, but they are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit So they can go ahead and keep living through it and becoming more the person because of it. Let me give you another verse related to this teleos, this perfect, for my power is made perfect. This same word shows up in James 1, 2 through 4. This is really more of a classic verse. Uh, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why on earth would you do that? For you know that the testing of your faith produces something. You know, it's a trial that you're going to have to live through. Uh, Your faith will be tested if you choose to be steadfast, stay put, live through. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Here comes the word that you may be perfect, not without sin, but complete, mature, Actually, I like the way the ESV translates that, that you may be perfect and complete. One Greek word, they put both in there, lacking in nothing. So again, God's power is to save. God's power is to secure. God's power is to strengthen. How does he strengthen? Well, to uh, leave or to live through it, right? But there's something else. And again, this is the one that I'm looking most forward to unpacking with you because I don't want you to understand, well, if God's calling me to live through something, I guess I'm going to just suffer for Jesus, live a miserable life as a martyr. How you doing? I'm good. I'm just living through it, but I'm going to make it because I'm secure in Jesus. Listen to me. That is not attractive. That is not the aroma of Christ that, that God wants you to, 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 to let the world smell. Uh, and I, I, I just want you to see this. So more than just giving you power to endure, power to live through, listen to me, please grasp this grace point, to let joy shine from a problem. That is what will cause a world to lean towards the possibility that Christianity is credible. 
There's some people in our church that are going through horrendous hardship. And the aroma of their life is joy. That is a 4D reality. They don't understand it. They can't explain it. But there's something of the Spirit in their life. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness, go to Disneyland. Happiness, do something, eat lots of sugar or whatever. You know, happiness you know, that, that's happy. It doesn't last. Joy is a, is, 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 a, is a character quality where happiness is an emotion. And there's a character quality of joy that is a calming of your soul where there's peace and rest knowing that God has you and you're in an unshakable kingdom. Therefore, you are secure. There's some joy in that. I want to unpack this a little bit more to let joy shine from the problem. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Remember what, what it says here. This is Paul. He's not Paul the complainer, not Paul the martyr, not Paul the prisoner. Notice the, 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 the attitude, the, the, the perspective, the joy in this. But he said to me, no, He's not going to complain about it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, God, you're going to give me power to endure. Help me be patient. Therefore, here it is. I will boast all the more what? All the more gladly of my weaknesses, of what is slowing me down. Because God, you're saying no to let me leave it. You're saying yes to let me live with it. And God... You love me, I can boast of your goodness to me, and I'll the more gladly walk with you through it. That doesn't make sense. That is 4D reality, deep joy in his soul. Let's go back to Colossians. I gave that to you earlier. Notice where this goes. Again, he's already talked about understanding and experience God's power. This is where we stop. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all endurance and patience you need. Remember that? Listen to me. If all you're experiencing is endurance and patience, suffering for Jesus, there's more power available to you. Notice this, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. There's some people through our church that have had significant loss, way more loss than I've ever experienced. I envy their joy. I envy the grace that God has poured out on their lives where somehow they still believe God is good and God loves them. And there's something very sweet in their life as they suffer. Wow. I mean, I, I, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies, and I think that is really what got skeptical Bobby Johnson at college to take a good look at Jesus. When people through hardship looked up, wow. And they have the calm presence of joy in their life. I thought, wow. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's the power All right, so again, so far so good. Let me give you one more, okay? So God's power is available to what? Save, secure, strengthen. 
and underneath strengthen to leave a problem. Sometimes God says yes. Many times he says no, because I'll mature you through it, then live through it, but then not just live through it, but have joy even in the midst of it. But let, let me give you last one, one last one, and that is to stretch you. Don't miss this. I wish I understood this a lot sooner than I'm starting to now. This might explain some of the no's that God is giving you to the stresses of, of your life. Uh, I was trying to figure out an object lesson for this, and so I came up with this that uh, has been on a doorknob in Rhonda and my house for a long time. This helps us be as buff as we are, okay? And so every now and then we take turns. We take out the doorknob, and we stretch this thing, and then we kind of work on this, and we kind of work on this. Are you impressed? You should be, right? It takes, listen to me, it doesn't stretch by itself. It takes amazing power to go ahead and do what I'm doing right now. Does that make sense? Here's the deal. Thank you for not mercy laughing with that. This doesn't accomplish its purpose if it's not stretched. If I just hold this like this, I don't benefit from it. Does that make sense? But when I use my amazing strength and go ahead and stretch it, then I am stronger. I am using it the way it was meant to. Make sense? Let me give you another example. A rubber band. I didn't bring one up because you couldn't see it because you're too far away. But we've all done this, though. A rubber band. When is a rubber band useful? When is a rubber band purposeful? When it's stretched. See, a rubber band doesn't hold things together if it's too loose. But when it's stretched, it literally accomplishes what it's supposed to do. Does that make sense? Listen to me. You are a lot like this very thick. I've I've done this enough, right? You are a lot like this, and you're a lot like the rubber band. You will not accomplish the purpose that God has for you if you're not stretched. It's very uncomfortable to be stretched. Some of you are wondering, God, do you know my limits? (laughs) Because, my goodness, I'm being stretched more than I ever thought you would. God does love you. He is a wonderful counselor discerner of you. He knows what is too much. He also knows what's too little. Listen to me. Without stretching, you're not going to accomplish your purpose. Your purpose is twofold. Intimacy with God, influence for God. You are purposed to be intimate with the God who made you. That's why Jesus came to save you. More than just saving, he wants you to serve him. That's your purpose. Listen to me. You will not be saved. You will not be maturing if you're not stretched. It takes power to stretch you. It takes power to stretch you just enough. Not too much, not too little. And God says, that's my power at work. I wonder, and again, most of our small groups are not uh, engaging right now because we're taking December off, uh, but it would be a great question for you to think through. How is God allowing you to be stretched right now? Are you leaning into it? Are you living through it? Are you just being one more complaining martyr, suffering through it? Don't do that. Ask God for miraculous joy and say, God, you are stretching me for a purpose. I'm done 
teaching, but now I just want to remind you of something, this one last verse. I'm not going to teach it. Basically, it teaches itself. Paul, over and over again in all of his letters, he prays and teaches the same thing, that people would understand certain things and they would experience certain things. He basically wrote in Ephesians 3 what we unpacked in this sermon. Let me read this for you, and then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. Do you see all the saving, securing, strengthening, and stretching? I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. How? Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Power to save. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, secure, strengthening, step by step. And notice this. And may you have the power to understand. Here comes the stretching. Power to live in 3D and trust that there's more than what you can understand. Here it is. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, many don't. They've never allowed God to stretch their thinking. How wide, long, high, and deep is his love. See, God wants to stretch you even in the hardship that he loves you. You're going to, that's hard. God wants to stretch you. It's easy to, to think God loves you on, on, on good days. But on hard days, he loves you just as much. Let God stretch you with what love looks like. And it goes on. Take a look at verse 19. And not just understanding his love and being stretched, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of love, of life and power that comes from God. May you experience God's love. And here it is. I love this passage. Most people don't understand the context. Uh, this is a classic passage. Now, all glory to God who was able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. What's he saying is, I want to stretch you in what I'm able to do through hard problems, through hard times. And my God is able to do far more than I can possibly think or even imagine. And I can think, I can imagine a lot. Some of you are thinking, I cannot see how God can do anything good or productive through this. That is where you need to be stretched. That is where you need to have a longer look and more of a trusting heart with that. Grace Point, I pray that you and I would understand more of God's love and be stretched. But man, I want you to find a way this morning to say, God, I want your power that's available to me to be my experience. How does God want you to experience his power, to save you, secure you, strengthen you, stretch you without your complaining. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in many. Thank you for what you want to do in all. 
Father, thank you for your reminder this morning that you're more than a wonderful counselor, Jesus. That you're mighty God. You're not just helping us with the decisions of life, but the demands that are about to cause us to, to sink. Father, I pray that you, by your victorious, powerful hand, will rise us up above them. Father, I pray for the problems in our lives. I pray for the problems that are represented in this service. Yes, Lord, we pray that you would powerfully allow some to leave our lives. But we're going to trust you with that. Those that don't leave, give us power to live through trusting you. And God, give us supernatural joy that we cannot explain, that we would be able to be fulfilled with, and the world would smell and be drawn to you. Thank you for this Advent season on a rainy Sunday in San Diego. And uh, may we continue to reflect, Advent, anticipate Jesus' birthday. In his name we pray, amen. Well, you have a worship opportunity right now. I don't want you to miss. And uh, before Chachi leads our worship time, I'm going to light three candles. This is our third Sunday. So we are building our Advent, our anticipation of Christmas Eve. A couple Sundays ago, we talked about hope. There is hope in the dark. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, peace that is available. This morning, uh, I pray for joy. I pray for the fact that joy to the world, the Lord has come. I pray that would be more than a song. That would be an experience for you, regardless of the issues that you're struggling with. He's more powerful. And may you be more joyful because of him. Let's let Chachi lead us in response to getting into God's word a little bit. And then I'll be right back with some encouraging announcements. Everything, this is why I thank 
So when I started the message this morning, I said that God loves you, and many of you, you love him back, and how you love and how he loves looks a little different. It's the same way how you thank the Lord. You thank the Lord differently as well, and uh, because we're all at different stages of life, we all uh, have different passions and desires and different promptings of the Lord, but I just want you to know that I'm thankful for you to be part of a church that really answers God's promptings. Uh, for now, many seasons of ministry and, and many years along the way. Some of you are brand new. Uh, many of you are not. And we're all on this journey of what God wants to do through this local church. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. A couple of things that I want to encourage you to do, opportunities for you to consider. One is um, come back next Sunday. We'll take a look at how Jesus' name is Everlasting Father. How can he be Everlasting Father when there is already an Everlasting Father? We're going to take a look at that next Sunday about the intimacy of the Trinity. I look forward to that. And then uh, two weeks from now is Christmas Eve and Christmas morning weekend. I would encourage you to come back and invite some of your friends. Uh, it's politically correct to invite people for Christmas Eve, okay? And we promise not to scare them off. And uh, it'll be a great evening. We have two services, 4 o'clock and 6 p.m. And uh, a lot of great music, some inspirational truth about Jesus' birth 
and I look forward to celebrating that with you. Um, but what we're going to do for Christmas Eve, 4 and 6 p.m., uh, with kids and everybody in here, and then Christmas morning, we're not going to be doing our normal donuts. So every Sunday, kids come for Jesus and for donuts, all right? And so we're not doing donuts Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, but typically one of the traditions of Grace Point Church is many of you, we bake Christmas cookies, and so I'd encourage you, if you're a baker, uh, to make some fun cookies and uh, bring them, and, uh, and then we give them to the kids and adults uh, and pastors to, uh, for, for, for that evening, really more only for kids. So again, I would encourage you to do that. So again, we're not going to have any donuts Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, um, so help us with some nice Christmas cookies, bake a few, and then bring them. That'll be great. And we need to know if... You're going to do that, and how many are you going to do that? So make sure that there's enough, and which services, that kind of thing. So they think there's a clipboard in the foyer, so fill that out. Uh, if you want more information, just keep looking at your emails. We'll be sending it to you. So that's number one. And uh, also, these boxes are here, right? Let me tell you a little story about these Christmas Eve boxes. Can we turn on the lights on this one? Can you show? So basically, we set a goal of 500 shoe boxes, and we said that about maybe three or four weeks ago. Let me tell you how that, that started. So Elmo Compton is one of our missionaries that we support through our finances and through our prayers and basically through our, our relationships that we go down there. And uh, Man, about a month ago, he said, you know, I know that Grace Point Church typically collects shoeboxes all December through mid-January, and then we do a January party after you collect through your Christmas Advent season. And uh, so he said, Bob, I'd like for you to do something a little different this year uh, because we want to have the party before Christmas to have a major neighborhood uh, party so the kids would come and we get to bless them for Christmas and they don't have to wait till January. And uh, so would you do that? And we want more boxes. We want at least 500. Here's what I was thinking. One is, you know what? I don't want to do that. Number one is, I want people to come Christmas Eve and see all of our amazing boxes, and that'll make us look good. So, Elmo, it's not really about your kids. It's about us. Now, I didn't say that, but that's kind of what I was thinking, you know? Let's just be honest about that. So, I don't know, Elmo. Now, I don't know. If I, so, now you're going to shorten the time, and you're going to ask for more. So, let's give it a shot. And Rick Thompson, missions pastor, yeah, I, we, we can so do this. So, we did that. And so... Uh, as of this morning, before our first service, uh, 761 shoeboxes came, came around. We are about 850 right now, based on what the boxes, what I saw come in even, even this morning. And most of them are here. Starting tomorrow morning, they're going to starting to be shipped out. And so Rick gets to talk to Elmo this afternoon and says they're coming. And uh, for many of the kids, this is the only gift that they're going to receive other than the gift of the gospel and the party that we're going to help provide. But thank you for that. And so again, uh, you did it. And so Christmas Eve, they're all going to be gone. The new people will just have to wonder if we are a generous church. But we are. And so they're going to go ahead and do and, and, and be gone. Here's something else I want to encourage you with. Several of you asked, Bob, end of the year giving. And our church doesn't talk about money much. It, we talk about money when it comes up in the passages that we teach through. And, uh, but you guys are very generous and very consistent in your conviction to uh, 
live for him and his kingdom and not for you and yours. And uh, last year, our fiscal year goes from September to August. And right now, uh, we are uh, in the middle of, of, of another one. We're just starting and, and all that. Uh, but uh, last year, our budget was $1.5 million. And it's the same this year. Uh, and our giving came in at $1.78 million. We don't do bingo, we don't do potlucks, we don't even pass the baskets. You guys did that because of the slots and mostly because of your online giving. Other pastors are amazed. They come and visit, and I'm doing a little bit of mentoring. And uh, literally, I really do believe that church health leads to godly choices and, and church growth. And so you're doing that. So thank, thank you for that. On top of normal giving, tithing, sacrificing, we do have two opportunities. Uh, if you are prompted to, to be part of end of the year giving in December uh, of this year. One is we are trying to go ahead and complete our back property area in the northeast section where there's a cross, there's a small fire pit, and there's a gaga pit. We're going to be moving the gaga pit, and we're going to be basically replacing that with a food-friendly grill, paving, and 10 picnic tables, and an expanded fireplace, and a cross-reflection area. Because not only do we want you to experience God personally, we want you guys to experience each other personally. So right now on this campus, there's not a food-friendly place for you to gather after Sundays or during the, the week or in the evenings for our small groups and slice-of-life events. We want to go ahead and complete that. So end-of-the-year giving is going to be going towards that, and uh, we're very excited about that. Also, uh, we had an elder meeting last Sunday, and we've been looking at this for a while. Matter of fact, we were able last year to buy our first Grace Point Church home uh, for staff members. And uh, what we can do, because we are a nonprofit organization, we can buy properties and not have to pay property tax. And one thing that we do as a church, we're trying to go ahead and buy some properties so that staff can live in them, and we can go ahead and not uh, have rent from those properties, and we basically can go ahead and buy these properties, and so the rent won't increase. Right now, we have a number of our staff that's renting, and the rent is going up, and it's really hard to go ahead and have a stable budget when rent keeps to being uh, growing. So what we want to do is buy a few properties and lock in a price and not charge our staff rent so they can go ahead and live semi-close to this church campus. I told my elders last Sunday, if we don't do this, this generation and the next, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to be pricing out most of our staff. We'll have to live way far away for the rent that they can afford if we don't go ahead and buy some property and give them an opportunity to live there rent-free. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, it's for this generation and the next. And uh, those two areas are going to be our end-of-the-year focus points. And uh, so if you don't, that's wonderful. If you do, that's on you. But we're letting you guys know of what we're doing, what we're excited about. One is going to be able to complete our campus for more small groups, slice of life, medium-sized events that's food-friendly, nice grill, nice pavers, nice tables, nice fire pit, and all that kind of thing. And uh, I want staff to be able to live semi-close. And uh, 
The only way to do that is to invest in some property, and that's what we're trying to focus on in the next few years. Good to go? All right. Thanks for coming. Merry almost Christmas. We'll see you next Sunday. Hi, Trish.